This podcast is a feature of Concordia's TESOL Resource Center. To join Concordia University's TESOL community, visit our website at www.concordia.ca forward slash TESOL. We have tons of online resources for teachers, a mentorship program, and of course, more episodes of Talking TESOL. You can also find us on Facebook under Concordia's TESOL Resource Center. See you there! Welcome to Talking TESOL, Concordia University's TESOL Resource Center's official podcast, where we discuss all things to do with teaching English as a second language. I'm your host, Sivan Blackbrachan. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we are continuing with our Learner's Perspective series. In this series, I talk to ESL learners with diverse linguistic and cultural backgrounds to discuss how they believe their linguistic repertoires and home cultures influence their language learning process. As English teachers, we encounter learners from a variety of backgrounds in our classes, and the aim of this series is to better understand our students. Today, I am joined by my dear friend Yu, who is a master's student in Concordia's Applied Linguistics program and comes from Anyang, China. We will discuss her personal English learning journey, what the dynamic was like between the teacher and the student in China, and how she believes her first language, Mandarin Chinese, influences her learning of English. So please, sit back, relax, and let's listen to my conversation with you. Hi, you. Hi, hi Sivan. Thanks for inviting me. My um, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Cool. Um, so you have already um, introduced me a little bit. So my name's Yu, and my English name, you can call me Kay as well. I came to Canada in 2013, so that's pretty a uh, long time ago. And then in my third year university, I went to the UK, uh, Bristol University for exchange. So that year was awesome. And also that year, you know, inspired me to study linguistics because, you know, the accent there is very... I would say kind of charming to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I finished my commerce undergrad degree, mm -hmm. the bachelor's degree. And then I started to learn linguistics for the fifth year, which is the second degree at oh, McMaster. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then I got the admission from Concordia. So now I am the master's student at Concordia at education department in applied linguistics. Mm hmm. Yes. And that's how we know each other. We study together. So let's get right into your learning trajectory. So talking about English, when and where did you start learning English? So what was the context? So I started to learn English in my elementary school. So English is a required course from then. And usually there are around like 40 minute sessions per week. But that was in my age. So like 12 years ago. It's kind of like outdated. I'm not sure about now, but I guess most of them are going to be the same. So maybe more sessions per week, but 40 minute sessions. Mm, okay. Yeah. So 40 minute sessions once a week. That was basically your exposure to English yeah, at the well, time? One or two, I would say that. Okay. And yeah. what were those classes like? Like, were they big? What kind of things did you learn? Okay. So 
the textbooks are conversation based, mm -hmm. but I mean, the teacher is just standing um, on the stage and then we just re repeat after him. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. And you and you know, repeat the same thing. So it's not actually conversation based when the knowledge is transmitted to the students. Okay. Okay. Mm. So it's not really encouraging like to take the knowledge and then use it in a spontaneous way. It's just to learn these structures and no, repeat them. No, not for me at least. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and, the and you said there was a stage. So the teacher literally yeah. stood on a stage. That's, I mean, that was one difference uh, between North American and also like China. Mm -hmm. One reason behind this is because when you want the classroom or the class, whole class to be participative, mm -hmm. um, maybe the teacher have to stand in the middle of the students, but we have so many students in a class, so we cannot do that. So maybe that's the only way for the teacher to, you know, to teach and also, the premise is the student can listen to him. So that's why there's a stage. Mm, okay. Do you yeah. think it also is, um, it signifies, I don't know, maybe a, a, a distance or a certain kind of respect between the student and the teacher? Like, do you think there's a symbolicness, um, symbolism, I should say? It definitely has. It definitely okay. has. So maybe because we have so many students, so the teacher standing on the stage. And because of the stage, there's like longer distance. And because of the longer distance, so... There are more students. I don't know. It's like kind of interrelated. It's just interesting because when I interviewed um, another peer of ours in applied linguistics, Nina, mm -hmm. right, to talk oh, Nina, about yeah. Viet yeah, to talk about Vietnamese, mm -hmm. she actually said there was the same thing. Like the classroom um, in Vietnam, the English classroom in Vietnam, had a stage, and the teacher stood on a stage. And I think it was yes. So it was also for this purpose of like the classes are big and it's mm -hmm. kind of a method of classroom management in a way. Yeah. But also yeah, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh no, sorry. It's like, um, students sometimes don't dare to talk during class. I mean, talk to the instructors because mm. it has a rigid, um, time limit for the class. So if mm -hmm. you talk, I mean, like ask a question and maybe that question is kind of stupid you know what i mean it's not that stupid but it's just something not a valuable question then you're mm -hmm. wasting other people's time so okay so you're kind of giving me here a lot of insight into into the dynamic of the classroom and the dynamic between the student and the teacher and i want us to get back to that but first can yeah. you tell me a bit more about so your personal learning trajectory so you started off in this kind of an elementary school yeah what happened next Okay, what happened is my grade was so bad. <laughs> in, in elementary school, English. You can't believe that? So I can't bad. believe it. I can't. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> okay, so my grade, because I, um, I went to grade one pretty earlier than other students. So mostly they were seven, but I was like just seven you know okay. because the school starts at september 1st but my birthday um is august 27th so just three days so i was just seven so my parents decided to you know not push me mm -hmm. because oh maybe our kid hasn't ready for the school so let's just uh, keep it easy 
okay, in, a, in other words, they think I'm stupid, okay? Oh my God. <laughs> so they think, okay, just don't push her. And then in grade four, my English grade was 59. Yeah, so I failed 59. So I told my mom and she was like, what, you failed in elementary school? course <laughs> i cannot stand that so she took me to extracurricular institution i would mm. say mm -hmm. yeah so they have math english and i met a really 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 nice teacher because you know there's an entrance test so at least you have you have to like reach some level in terms of the english grade to enter that institution okay. because they want to make sure that you can you're not the you can follow. Mm -hmm. So I failed as well. The the private institution. Uh -huh. I failed. Ooh, girl. Yeah. So at, at first they say, okay, we cannot accept you. So when I was, oh my God, they cannot accept you. What can you do? You got 59. And then my teacher, her name is uh, Kelly. Mm -hmm. So she said, okay, I can take her. Mm. I was so, so, so... I know, thankful, you know, because yeah. I don't know mm -hmm. why I, I had a self-esteem that time. Oh, Even yeah. Even though I'm like grade four, okay, no one oh wants God. to take me. Yeah. Oh, for so sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I was encouraged a lot. So I decided to learn English so hard. Well, primarily for her, but I mean, when I had some classes, I found, oh, English is so interesting because in that institution, we use the interactive learning. Mm -hmm. So like we have the chance to express our thoughts and also some games. Very interesting. So my English grades was like 90 plus in grade six. Yeah. Okay. So, so you mean your English grade in the regular school? Yes. Like in, okay. Like in the public system, basically. Mm -hmm. okay. So I would say in my elementary school, at least I have to thank to the extracurricular uh, institution, not the, the I mean, this school. But you know, this story you're telling me, it really touches my heart because it kind of, it goes to show like just the impact that a, mm -hmm. a passionate teacher or just a very encouraging teacher who yeah. believes in you and your abilities uh, can have. Wow. And I guess, I guess that's why I want to like enroll in the education department somehow. Yeah. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a very impactful job. That's for sure. So what was really the difference then between these two? Like, so you said in this private institution, it was a lot, I guess, freer, much more communicate, like um, communication based. You played games, whereas in the public school, uh, it was perhaps like more rigid. Is that well, kind of the main difference or? Yeah, I would say that's the main difference. And the basic difference is the, like the student number. Mm. So we have like 10-ish, 10 to 15 students in one small class. So that's the basic reason why the teacher can apply the interactive communication to all the students. Mm -hmm. But in my elementary school, there was like 50 students in one class. So there's no time. I mean, 50. Because, yeah, 50. Five so, zero. Yeah. That's a, zero. that's a yeah, big that's class. That's a big class. Well, that, that's 12 years ago. Come on. We, like, think about it. Now it's going to be 70, I guess. Oh, my God. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's funny because I, so I was in Beijing last summer, and I, I think I told oh, you this before, but yeah. just for the listeners, you know, I was in Beijing last summer, um, and I was doing private teaching, but I also visited the public school that my students go to, and it was such a trip 
for me, I don't think it was 50 students, but at least 40. Like the class was huge. And I remember, um, <laughs> and I remember what the teacher did to get the students' attention. Uh-huh. This is like an elementary school. Uh, and, and they were so well behaved. But, you know, when she needed to, what, what she did to get their attention is she had like a little button on the side of the wall that she would press. And when she pressed it, it like did a little jingle. <laughs> so it's like a, a stop button on the bus, right? Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Well, That's we don't have comparison. that. I don't, think, I don't think we have that, but okay, I have to note here mm-hmm. the province I come from has mm-hmm. the largest population in China. So like 0.1 billion. Oh my God. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's a lot. So that's why like we have so many students in a class, mm. but not every province in China has such a population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be different. Yeah. It's very, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely very hard to generalize. So back to your trajectory here. So this was mm. your elementary school. You go to this yeah. private institution. It's a game changer. What happens next? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that actually, you know, construct my own habit to learn English. And mm-hmm. then in my middle school, I started to watching some TV shows. I remember the first one I watched was Vampire Diaries. Do you know that? Mm, yes, I do. Oh my God, I, <laughs> I was so into that. And then I tried to, you know, like impersonate their um, tones, their sentences, mm-hmm. try to learn the speaking English. Yeah, that actually helped me a lot. So that's, I would say, for my middle school. Okay. Yeah. And, and you were doing like English classes there. Was it still 40 minutes once a week at that point or? Oh, in middle school, that was at least once, no, once per day. So like okay. four to five times. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So definitely more. Mm-hmm. And then this continues throughout high school, basically? High school. Oh yeah. High school, like English is the major. I have two years in China. Mm-hmm. So for the high school, so we have like really hard English courses, I would say, because we add so much grammar knowledge. Mm -hmm. So grammar, I guess, from communication-based, I mean, the textbook from Mm -hmm. communication-based in the elementary school to Mm -hmm. test-based. So so it was just kind of a lot of grammar content and then you're assessed, basically. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the the structure of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Heavy. Heavy, heavy indeed. So then what came next? Okay, next. Then I went to Canada. Okay. Yeah. And f- at first I um, enrolled in an ESL course, mm-hmm. but I only took like two months. And also I took the grade 12 uh, English. Back so, in China, you mean? No, 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 here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. that was kind of a private high school. Okay. You have to test your English first. So okay. I got like, I, I don't remember, but I only took two months. So it's kind mm-hmm. of short, like a high level ESL course. Okay. Yeah. The instructors were very nice to me because I mean, the dynamic is in North America, in Canada. So it's different from China. So I was kind of like, liked the environment. So I improved a lot. So it only takes two months. So actually, let's talk about that a little bit more. So the dynamic yeah. and what's mm-hmm. really different. Because the purpose of this show, right, is that um, teachers who are going to be teaching Chinese students can listen and have a sense of really like where their students coming from, 
you know, like Mm -hmm. linguistically, but also culturally. So what's, what would you say is, um, is this typical dynamic uh, and how is it different from the the typical dynamic, so to speak, that you would see, uh, or at least encounter in in classrooms in in North America? So in my ESL courses, Mm -hmm. my classmates um, are from, let's say, Mexico, Nigeria, Russia. So not all of them are Chinese people. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if the instructor know how to interact with Chinese students specifically, Mm -hmm. but because the classroom is dynamic from Mm -hmm. so many countries, well, actually, to be honest, that was my first time to know that I can actually speak whatever I want in the class. Oh, mm-hmm. I feel so free. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And also you can, you can at least eat something in the class. Oh, that yes. was not allowed. That was not, not allowed in my classroom. I'm back in China. So, oh my God, that was a class? I don't think that was a class. And there's no stage. I mean, my instructor just standing there or sometimes just sit there and just talk to us. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I, I still cannot believe that. So at the beginning, I mean, from your, or from your side, and, and maybe I, I'm just wondering, um, I just wonder if perhaps like, some people who are used to perhaps a more rigid and strict, uh, less mm-hmm. flexible dynamic between the student and the teacher would then come to like an ESL class in North America, encounter this freer dynamic and kind of be like, what is this? Like almost, almost not take it so seriously. Like, can, do you think that would, that would happen? Or there'd be a, perhaps a certain loss of respect, at least initially? Yeah, definitely. For the first sight. I mean, in the first second, I was like, oh my God, what is this? What is it? But for me, the mm-hmm. second second, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, yes, I like it. I like it. But maybe for others, some students, they would feel like, oh, it's not rigid enough, but it's pretty free. So I'll keep the original way, but you can do your own way. So basically the teachers are just, you know, uh, teaching or interacting with students uh, in the class, but maybe some—I mean, some Chinese students who used to the traditional Chinese education system—they just sit there and they barely talk. So that's mm-hmm. the—I would say—the most common situation. Mm. Could because they have this expectation that it's like really the teacher's responsibility to kind of yeah. give them this knowledge, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. the thing. Maybe. The students, they know like how the education, the dynamic works here, but they mm-hmm. just get used to their own way. Mm. I have I have personally encountered that actually with some Chinese students, like especially adults, where mm-hmm. um, where there was at the very beginning this, this expectation. Like I, I felt that they expected from me to just essentially, well, first of all, be super, super knowledgeable about the topic. That was like priority number one you know, which I understand. So that, but that was really a priority. And then to, to kind of be this like authority figure and give them the knowledge and expected a lot of, and they were excellent note takers, a lot of note taking, but yeah, very hesitant to speak up and kind of bring like personal life into the class. I think what he or she is thinking is just tell me what to do or give me a command. I, mm-hmm. I don't have my personal opinion what to do. So that's mm-hmm. basically what he's thinking, I would mm-hmm. say. Okay. Yeah. Because it's interesting because I think 
a lot of language classes, or at least I feel like the makings of a great language class are to kind of bring the personality and the personal lives yeah. of the students a little bit into the class, you know, but I can mm -hmm. imagine for someone who doesn't come from that kind of a, or is not familiar with that dynamic, it could be very like, whoa, 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 right. this is, I don't, I don't and want this. Yeah. Especially like you mentioned as an adult, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So maybe people with different ages. So let's say from middle school, if a kid came to Canada very early, so maybe he just, you know, abandoned the like Chinese, well, the education system mind and they just adopt the Canadian ones. But if an adult, well, I would say it takes time. It, yeah, I mean, it's actually so interesting because I've also taught kids like of various ages and like I've taught kids who come to Montreal when they're like four years old and mm -hmm. they, ad they adapt so fast. And I mean, I'm thinking of one kid in particular, actually, and he was so boisterous and so like just talkative and, and just comparing it to his sister, it was incredible because she, you could tell, had spent so many more years studying in China mm -hmm. and was much more... I guess skeptical in a way and, and, and much more hesitant to speak up. That was my Yeah, maybe experience. another uh, variable is their gender. Right? Mm, interesting. Yeah. You think boys would be more... Uh, yeah, some boys like my rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> you, to the listeners, you, you has a, a rabbit and before we yeah, started recording... Yeah, it's a mini rex. Yes, yeah, no white. What's, wait, what's your rabbit's name actually? Oh, it's dabogi. Dabogi is actually a rice cake. It's a rice cake, the mini rice cake in Korea. Mm, is, is that the rabbit's name because the rabbit is white, like a rice cake? Or? Yeah, yeah, dabogi. Oh my God, it's like a pigeon right now. <laughs> <laughs> like a hen, like a little, like a yeah, little. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, so cute, so cute. <laughs> Okay, back to back. <laughs> so easy to get sidetracked. Um, but okay, so back to just the language here. So I think that's really interesting or for something at least for teachers to be aware of is that this is what learners perhaps would be expecting if they're coming from China and they're used to a particular dynamic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, dynamics, because there are two dynamics for them, both are good. It just, just apply to different contexts, right? So I would say that teachers in North America, maybe try to wait, try mm -hmm. to be patient mm -hmm. and know their personalities. I mean, you know, students in the class, I mean, in China, teacher will see, see different personalities from them, mm -hmm. especially in class and out of class. Mm -hmm. So we're actually really active just in class. We're kind of like, you know, the dynamic dynamic we think is like, we are waiting teachers to to say something. Mm, okay. Okay. So, and before you were talking about asking like relevant questions, for instance, so you would be hesitant to say, to just kind of ask whatever's on your mind. Definitely. I, I think I never asked in China because my, there's a famous sentence that I guess every teacher would say to their students. So if each of you ask a question during class, the class will be wasted because I don't, I do not teach anything. So leave it after class. That is, that is so interesting. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, I've never heard that, but that, that is so, so interesting and telling, I think. All yeah. right. Um, and 
back in China, or I guess, I mean, you could really speak to the people you knew, but why do you think people choose to learn English? What is the primary motivation, generally speaking? Okay, the primary motivation, back to my age, is mm -hmm. because it's just a uh, mandatory course. Mm -hmm. And then from now on, I guess, is more related to the career, the future. I mm -hmm. mean, because in my age, the people who can speak a fluent English mm -hmm. or even older generation, if they can speak in, like fluent English, they are like kind of like profession. They will get like higher paid. Mm -hmm. But right now, and also maybe in the newer generation, like speaking fluent English, is a must thing or like a skill you has to have. It's mm -hmm. not just an add-on, you know, it's the necessary thing that you have okay. to have in terms of your future. Because when you're looking for a job, you, you got to have the English, I mean, like a certificate in Chinese university. I don't know the translation for that, but you got to have that mm -hmm. in terms of like getting into that job. Mm, okay. So it's really for practical reasons. That's mm. kind of the primary, like instrumental practical right. reasons. That's the primary motivation. Okay. Yeah. Do you think for you that was the case? For me, I have to, yeah, for, for the practical reasons. Mm -hmm. But because back to China, I just love English. Mm -hmm. And then we decided, oh, let's go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk a bit about linguistics now. So let's get into the real um, linguistic differences that a teacher who's teaching Chinese students should be aware of between Mandarin, right, which is your, uh, which is the language you speak, and and English. So what would you say um, are kind of the biggest, the biggest differences, the things to really be aware of? Um, okay. So first, it's the phonetics, phonology perspectives, mm -hmm. uh, the vowel contrast, some of them are not in Mandarin. For example, uh, the long E and short E, so like bitch and beach. So that's a common <laughs> mistake that people can see from um, Mandarin-like language. So <laughs> you want to say beach, mm -hmm. well, by mistake, you say bitch. Okay. Okay. So yeah. the long, these long vowel sounds mm -hmm. in terms of pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. And also we have different tones to mm. refer to different meanings. So we are a tone language, mm -hmm. not like English. So for example, if we say shi means, so it, that's the first tone, shi mm -hmm. means eat. And mm -hmm. if we say shi means late, mm. so that's a totally different thing. That was something I struggled yeah. with so much when I was there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I remember like, I, I had my sentences that I would say to mm -hmm. people like, I don't eat meat. And I'd like always have to repeat it like 10 times. It's like, <laughs> what? What do you think? <laughs> but most of the time we will understand. It's just, mm -hmm. okay, because we expect that you will make some mistakes on the, like the tonal part. So mm -hmm. we can understand, adjust a little bit. So, mm -hmm. so the tones, I mean, that is definitely something to be aware of, right? That Mandarin is a, is, is a tonal language. Do you it's, think that, um, okay. I'm just wondering, do you think that uh, influences word stress? Like, yeah, you know how in English, right? Because words are multi-syllabic. One yeah, syllable is going to be stress. That's <laughs> the last thing I want to mention. It's a stress. Okay. So Chinese is a syllable-timed language, but English is a stress-timed. So mm -hmm. we don't have stress in the characters. So instead, we only add some pragmatic um, 
elements into our sentences mm -hmm. to indicate our emotion and also the sentence type, question type, mm -hmm. etc. Okay, so when you say adding pragmatic elements, it means rather than like, because if I ask a question, I'll, mm -hmm. I have a specific intonation, I'll be like, you know, hi, you, yeah. how are you feeling? <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> For instance, exactly. but in Mandarin, would it be a specific word that you would add at the end of the sentence to indicate question or? Yeah, or maybe only, well, at the top of my head is adding a ma. So mm. that's the question mark. So for example, have you eaten? You would say, ma. So if you, if you say, uh, I have eaten. So you would mm -hmm. say, Okay. And then if there's a question, you would say, ma. Ah, okay. So you have to add that ma at the ma, end. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And also you add some, you know, the rising intonations like Nchilama. Ah, okay. Okay. So you would you would add both basically intonation mm -hmm. and the and the word. Okay. What other linguistic elements? So that's really phonology, right? So yeah. something to be aware of is there's not this concept of word stress, but there are tones, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And also for the morphology part. Mm -hmm. It's about the affixation. Like we just said, for example, if you want to say um, yesterday, so the past tense, we don't add the past tense marker at the end of the word. Instead, we add a character at, maybe at the end or beginning or middle of the sentence to indicate that's the past tense. Oh, okay. So like rather than adding an ED, for instance, mm -hmm. to indicate... We just add yesterday. Path? Ah, okay. So for you, actually, do you remember if that was a particular challenge? Like, I don't know, having to get used to verb conjugation, essentially? Oh, God, yes. I mean, for the writing, writing part, mm -hmm. it, I mean, no problem for me. But for the speaking part, I still make mistakes. Okay. Mm. That's a, I mean, that is a very good one to know. I think essentially that, so there, can we generalize and say that there's no verb conjugation in Mandarin? No. All right. <laughs> That's a big one. So yeah. uh, it sounds kind of like, because um, I remember when I was interviewing Nina, it sounds a lot like Vietnamese in that sense, that it's very vocabulary-based. Oh, yeah? Okay, good yeah. to know. Yeah, no, Vietnamese is the same. It's a, Yeah, she said that, and this is such an interesting topic, and she said that basically, so it functions the same way. Like in Vietnamese, there's no verb conjugation, and it's very vocabulary-based. So mm. when so when you're learning Vietnamese, it's like you just learn tons of words. You learn lots and lots and lots of words, and that's the best way to learn it. And I, I, I mean, I can imagine it would be the same with Mandarin, that you're just learning vocabulary. Well, actually, maybe there's like subtle difference because in Mandarin, there's not like words. It's mm. characters. So you have to learn different characters, and then you combine the characters at the word. Mm. So many words, you have so many characters and you have different combinations. So you have tons of like vocabs. So it is this kind of like learn tons of vocab and then mm. put your sentences together in a way. Yeah. So it's a vocabulary based language, similar to Vietnamese in this sense. And mm -hmm. I think this is, and this is a really interesting point because um, another experience I had when I was teaching Chinese students is that they expected to learn English the same way that Mandarin is learned. So for example, I remember when I was teaching these kids privately, the mm. mother, she would ask me, 
every lesson I want them to learn minimum 10 words. I want them to master minimum 10 words. So there's a lot of like mastering and there's mm-hmm. like this kind of very like quantifiable 10 words. Yeah. This is the goal, right? And I get it. I can understand. And, and now I understand more why she wanted that because I think that's how you would learn Mandarin actually. That's interesting. Yeah. Like that's what she wanted. But I remember, but as a teacher, it was a bit frustrating for me because that's not how I would teach English, right? Like I would teach kind of systems and I would teach conjugation and like, I can't just teach someone the word want. Like you have to learn that want is actually a verb which can change. It could become wanted. It can become wants. It can become wanting. You know, you can, you can put affix. I have wanted, right? And mm. that, that expectation, I remember, frustrated me. Don't mention that parent. I mean, even myself right now, when I'm learning French, mm-hmm. I'm still looking for the vocabs at the mm-hmm. end of the textbook. But unfortunately, there's no vocab list. So I was like so disappointed. And for our elementary, middle and high school, um, mm-hmm. the textbook at the back of the textbook, there is a list of vocabs. Like you have to memorize, let's say, two or one list per day mm-hmm. for the like homework. Mm-hmm. So I would say like 50 words, at least like 100 words per day. So that's the daily routine. That's intense. Yeah. That sounds really intense. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's funny because I, I understand in a way where she's coming from. And I understand how that's something very tangible. And you can say, okay, I have learned 20 words. That's progress. But uh, you cannot use it, right? You don't know how to yeah, use them. Yeah, yes. And you know, oh my God, another experience I had, which is really connected to this, is uh, I remember I was talking to in Beijing to a friend of mine who was studying English at the university. And he showed me the texts and the things that they were using. And it was basically like a Shakespeare, it was some Shakespeare play. Okay. And in English? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And they were, they were going through the text and literally every single word that he did not know, he would write down the, and and that's, and I mean, like, that's so many words, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but there wasn't this emphasis on like reading for gist, you know, reading to just get the idea. And and it's okay if you don't necessarily know every single little word, but that there's so much importance placed on like knowing the minute. Yeah. Okay, so these are some grammatical differences, right? Um, Any other ones that you want to add that you think are worth mentioning? Good for the teachers to know? I think that's everything. Okay, that those would be the main ones. I think so too. Yeah, really this difference. So there's really no verb conjugation. These morphological um, differences. So for instance, word stress might be difficult. Long vowel sounds. That's not something I thought about, but that is very, very true. And then also these kind of expectations of how the language should be taught. For instance, just because Mandarin is a vocabulary-based language, this expectation that English should be, is also vocabulary-based and should be taught in a similar way, but, but actually... I, I would argue that it's not and shouldn't be taught that way in the sense of just memorize tons of words. Okay, it rings my bell because sometimes um, the teacher would think if you do not learn vocabs, how can I teach you the 
sentence structures that filled with different words. Mm. So because my main goal is to, you know, let you understand more and more sentences, more and more passages. So you have to have, you know, enough vocab storage in mm. to understand those things. So I think that's the main curriculum design, like the difference between China and North America. Mm, yeah, vocabulary is definitely important. I don't want to uh, make it sound like I, I don't think it is, but I think there there are just these differences. Like I remember seeing some of my students when they were doing their their Chinese work, um, mm -hmm. and it was literally just like pages upon pages of vocab. And at the end of the week, you get tested on them, and that was the structure. And they expected pretty much the exact same thing with English, whereas that's definitely important to learn vocabulary, but it's not, I'd say, sufficient. Yeah, definitely. So they, uh, we memorize the vocabs and also we learn the, like the reading passages mm -hmm. because their design is super, super intense. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why they combine those two together so that we can, you know, rush into different topics day by day. Okay, so it's all, it's also has to do, yeah, I guess perhaps with, I guess perhaps yes. also just with tests exactly and assessment, and it's something very easy to assess, mm. very straightforward. Yeah, I would say so. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so just to wrap up here, I was wondering if you had some advice. Okay, you're talking to, let's say, I'm I'm about to be teaching a class of fifteen Chinese students. I want to understand my students a little bit better. Do you have any final words of advice for this teacher? Like, what could I expect from the way they would act? Anything, so, anything that comes to mind. Yeah, so first of all, I would say most of students come from China. They're really active in a way, just not in the class, not in the traditional class. Like, they're really smart. They have different thoughts. But as instructor, um, I ex like I hope they could be like more encouraging mm. and encourage the active interaction of the students during the class, like because an easy atmosphere and let them like realize it. It is a place for them to express their thoughts. To it's a place to speak to talk, mm -hmm. and the instructors uh, won't blame them for asking any questions. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a really good one. So to really make this conscious effort, and I mean, I think teachers should do this anyways, but mm -hmm. it's especially important, I think, to know, given the, the context that many students from China are used to, yeah. like really creating that easy, comfortable, open mm -hmm. atmosphere, and it's okay to ask questions, and perhaps also to, you know, if a student is not answering immediately, to to not say anything, not push anything, just be quiet for a bit and let the students mm. think. Do you think yeah, that's... Yeah, that's one thing, like be patient. And also maybe the students are preparing their answers. They're not, they're not, you know, inactive. They just want to be perfect when they're speaking. Mm. So they will break the ice once they, they're ready. Because mm. I remember, I mean, we've, we've talked before, you and I, this isn't our yeah. first conversation. And I remember we, we spoke a little bit about that, like how teachers have this tendency to be really afraid of, or at least in the beginning, I'd say, of their careers. I mean, I know I have this all the time, but really afraid of silence, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, but I mean, that silent period is the golden period 
for students because, you know, not only the instructors would be afraid of silence. Same for the students. They they are also like afraid of silence. Oh my God, what should I, I should say something. Oh my God, it's so silent. So they will prepare the answers. Maybe as an instructor, you insist not to speak mm-hmm. for a bit and the student mm-hmm. will shut it out. Anyways. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Try it once. Yes, just see what happens. Try it mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, but it is a tough one. That's for sure. I mean, I, I know in my classes, whenever it gets quiet, I'm immediately like, oh my God, got to say something. I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm the, you know, but, but really, I think that's something to, to kind of get over. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, like students are thoughtful too. So they, they don't, they don't want to be in an awkward situation, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It kind of goes both ways. I think that's a very, very good point. Yeah. Yes. All right, you. So this is what I like to do when I want to close the episodes is I ask the guest to say goodbye in their first language and kind of teach me and teach the listeners how to do this. So do you mind teaching us how to say goodbye in Mandarin? Not at all. So I want to say for most of us, we will say bye-bye. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but if you want the Chinese version, like, like formally, mm-hmm. is Zai Perfect. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> that actually that that does jog my memory. I remember that in, in Beijing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, good. It's a practice. Um, yes, it was it was like the preparation. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you thank you so so much for joining us. And to the listeners, thank you very, very much for listening. I'd love to hear what people have to say about this episode. And until next time. Thank you. For the bye. next episode. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, you. Bye bye. Thank you, Simon. Mm-hmm.